0: Good singing this morning. I pray the Lord was pleased with it, and it was a joyful noise to him. That's who we sing to each week, isn't it? Amen, we sing to the Lord. Isn't he good? His mercies are everlasting. I am just, for some reason, more than normal. I'm always excited to be in God's house. But today, just a little bit more than normal. You know that feeling on Christmas morning when you get up? How many of you like Christmas? How many of you don't like Christmas? We're going to boo you if you don't, huh? You know that, just that anticipation. That's how I woke up this morning. Just, I know God's going to do something great today. If in no one else's life, I pray he speaks to me. And I know there's many here that hope that he does the same. We have his word. You know how many people in this world, if they wanted a Bible in their language, they couldn't find one. But we have his word. Any any matter that you're dealing with in life, do you realize you have the answer in God's word and it's available to us? God hasn't kept it from us. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that is. We have not only his word, we are able to go to his throne and pray and speak to our heavenly father. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that your Father, the creator of this universe, is available any you need, no matter what time of day, no matter what problem you have. He's available to you, and he's there to listen. And you have Christ there interceding for us, taking our petitions to the Father. That is, I'm so glad I'm saved. How many of you're glad you're saved today. Would you say amen? Don't say it too loud, because we don't want anybody in front of you getting anything that you might have (laughs) we're going to be the last day today in the third epistle of john i know i've taken a couple weeks off you'll be three weeks off from the book of acts but we'll get back to that lord willing next week the last two weeks we've studied from this very very short epistle you might read it and say, 14 verses, how do you get three messages out of 14? I've got more than three. I just uh, uh, want to get back to the book of Acts and finish the book of Acts. This book was so encouraging to me as I, as I was there in the hospital a couple weeks ago and I was, I've been studying this book. I've read this, I can't tell you how many times a day uh, for the last few weeks, just reading it over and over and just being encouraged. Every time I read it, I feel like God encourages me even more. It's never gotten old, just these short 14 verses. I, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I'm sure it has. You just find something in God's word and he just keeps refreshing you with it. And That's what this book has done for me. <clears throat> the apostle John now is an older man. He's not young anymore. He wouldn't fit in that young marriage class in church any longer. You know, he he's aged some. And with that age, he's maturing. You know, when we read about the apostles as they're following Jesus, so often they made mistakes. And so often they weren't sure what the next step was. The apostles were the one that came to Jesus and said, we're trying to, we're trying to cast out demons. We're trying to do these things that you've called us to do. And Jesus said, this kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. And, and you see at that time, the apostles are, are growing and they're maturing. But you see their faith at times uh, uh, being, being um, um, just not as strong it was the apostles that were there on that sea of galilee when that storm came and they were afraid it was the apostles that by, because of fear hid in that upper room wondering are the soldiers going to break through those doors and and take us and and crucify us or kill us like they just did to jesus it was the apostles that in the garden that they fled when the soldiers came to take jesus they scattered but it was John that there was just something about John. He was the one that is called the one that the apostle that loved Jesus, that laid his head on the on the breast of Jesus, that was close to Jesus. He was the one there when all of others scattered. He was the one there at the, at the cross. He was the one that he said, John, behold thy mother. He was the one that Jesus asked to take care of his, his family. John now is an older John. He's been through a lot. The church has grown, and the church is, is not just reached Jerusalem, but now has been scattered and is reaching all over the known world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth. He's seasoned, and he's writing this book, to a man by the name of Gaius, who he calls his child. He says this, you know, we've seen this in the last two weeks, but in verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, again, this is not a, a child, uh, a biological child of John. This is one that John has invested in. This is one that John has poured what he has learned, the time that he had spent with Jesus. And now what he has learned, he's, he's investing this in a, a younger man. He's writing to commend Gaius on his living and his testimony amongst of others. John, although he doesn't mention what church specifically he's writing to, or writing about, he references this church. Look with me in verse number 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I'll remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Behold, or I'm sorry, beloved in verse number 11. Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record. And ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust that I shall shortly see thee. We shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. The only negative in this entire chapter, this one chapter book, 14 verses, is two verses. When you begin to read this, when you read the first eight verses, it's very encouraging. It's, it's like John giving this, this young man a shot in the arm, congratulating him or commending him for his faithful living, for his right living, for his living where the truth, and, and the only way a person could live and walk in truth is they are in the word of God because the only truth we have is the word of God especially this time of year. How many of you, you're so tired of ads and so tired of commercials and so tired of all of the things that we're seeing and, and by Wednesday, hopefully, it'll be all gone. This one saying this about this one and the same. And I mean, it just what is truth? And not only that is in society, what, what is right and what is wrong? What is truth? The only way for someone to walk in truth is they are walking, knowing and understanding and living out the word of God. That's the only truth we have. It's the only truth this world has ever had. It's the true only truth this world will ever have is the word of God. You need to believe that. You need to live it. But as I read this, I, I like positive people. How many of you like positive people? I don't want to say I don't like negative people. I just would rather prefer a positive person. There's negativity all around. I I read these first eight verses and it's encouraging. We learn about faith and we learn about charity and we lo- learn about uh, uh giving and we learn about unity and all these wonderful things that John is commending uh or uh, uh yes, Gaius, and 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 and, and saying, Gaius, hey, this is a report that you have, and I'm so I'm so joyful because this is what people are saying about you. And then he comes to verse number nine, he says, and this is what's being said about this other fellow, gets into these negative. The rest of this letter is all encouraging. You get to verse number nine, get past verse nine and 10, get then to verse number 11. It's back to this positive again. I wondered why would John, who's only going to write 14 verses, a short letter, why would he even include those two verses Well, we we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so as John was penning this uh, this epistle, the Spirit of God was telling John what to write, so we know that there's a purpose for it. We know there's something there. All Scripture is given to edify and rebuke and exhort, and it's got a purpose. We can't just skip past it. And as we arrive at verse number nine, it reminds me that negative or problems are there in all of us are going to experience it in life. How many of you would love to experience life with never a problem ever again? But you know something? We learn from problems. We, we learn or we should learn from those experiences in our life. In life, will never be able to avoid or totally remove negative. But the negative doesn't have to affect you in a negative way. I want to look at this passage of Scripture as this man that is appearing to do the church harm not a great testimony yes you have such a great testimony and you are faithful and then we come to this the atrophies. he loves the preeminence and he he is wanting to be in charge and and he's causing problems within the church and, and he's dismissing people out of the church that don't agree like he agrees or doesn't do what he wants done and I, I want you to write this in your heart. This is just a, a, a precursor to the message. I want you just to write this in your heart. It doesn't have to consume you when there's negativity in your life. The problem is so often in when there's negativity in our life, it consumes us. Have you ever lost sleep because you were concerned about a situation? Have you ever lost sleep over someone at work that just causes you grief? a negative situation in your life, it causes us, if we're not careful, it consumes us. We think about it so much. It affects other decisions. It affects other, other relationships. I'll never forget years ago, Michelle, I came home from church one time and, and I had a bad day. I mean, just a bad day. And it wasn't necessarily with any individual. It, was just, it just seemed like everything I dealt with was difficult. And I came home, and, and uh, uh, wives, how many of your husbands ever came home in, in, in one of those moods? You know what I'm talking about, just one of those moods. My wife, she said to me, she said, if you're upset with someone else, don't come home and take it out on your family. They didn't do anything to you. And I thought, wow. She must have ate her Wheaties this morning. I mean, she's pretty bold. What she was simply saying is this. Don't be rude or don't be upset or don't take it out on others that love you and you love because somebody else has upset you. Don't be consumed on the negative. Don't be consumed with negative people it doesn't have to consume you Gaius did not allow his actions or testimony to be hindered because of the testimony of other people as the Lord began to show me this in this passage of scripture I was so encouraged by this mean people don't have to make you mean unkind people aren't an excuse for you to be unkind Impatient people is not an excuse for you to become impatient. Because someone else chooses to behave a certain way, it does not mean you have to allow it to affect you. You see, nowhere is John saying, now, Gaius, I realize you're dealing with this guy. And I realize that this guy is really messing a whole lot of things up. And I realize he's a difficult man to deal with. And so you've not really been living the Christian life that you should, but you have an excuse. I can't get, wait to get there and remove this man so that the Christians there don't no longer have to deal with that. That way they can begin to serve the Lord. That's not what this book says at all. What John is doing is John is saying all through this book, Gaius, you have a great reputation. Gaius, you are a man of faith. Gaius, you are one that is a man of truth. You are serving the Lord. You are doing so well. God bless you. Keep going. Keep encouraging. I can't wait to see you and speak to you about what you're doing for the Lord. All through this short book, he is commending Gaius on how he's living. And in nowhere does Gaius give an excuse for not serving the Lord. Because of someone else. I thought about that. How many times have I allowed someone else to affect my spirit? How often have I allowed a negative situation in my life to allow me to become negative? And Lord just convicted me of that as I read through this book. There's no excuse. Why would the Lord put right here just two verses in the middle of 14, just two verses about a man that's causing problems? Number one, I would say this. He put it there to show you those problems in your life should not affect your spirit or how you walk. Gaius walked in truth. Despite a man that was causing problems in a very important place in his life. Number two, would you write this down? Gaius didn't stop. He didn't stop serving the Lord when discouragement came from others. Here is a man in the church, Diotrephes, that loves preeminence. He says this, he's pratting against us, John speaking, with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbideth them that would, So not only does he, he picks and chooses who he wants to come to be a part of the church. He doesn't allow others to fellowship with those that he says aren't good for the church. And he casts them out of the church. I mean, this, there's not a whole lot of good said about this man here. And while we come to a few verses here, two verses about a man that's causing problems, the entire chapter says, Gaius, you're serving God. You're doing a great job. Your focus is right. I would say to you this, the reason why Gaius could stay focused is because obviously he's in the word. We know that because he's walking in truth and the only truth is the word. And when you walk in truth, it is a filter to filter all of that other nonsense and negativity and the things that we're going to face because we're living in a sinful, wicked world. It filters that out and it allows us to serve Jesus. Unfortunately, there's some that aren't serving Jesus today because they've been hurt by people. Maybe you're here in the room today. Someone said something to you that they shouldn't have said. You know, one of those staff members, you know, like Paul Taylor or someone like that, you know, comes alongside of you and says something that they shouldn't have said or now there's people that are casualties to the work of the Lord. I ran into, I was in Kroger yesterday, picking up a few things for my wife. That's where you're supposed to say you're a good husband. And I was, you know, I've got a mask on. And uh, how many of you, you don't recognize anybody anymore when you're out? I mean, I, I, I feel like I ignore people now. I don't, I just don't recognize you. I just don't recognize the top of your head. You know, I, I like to see your face. So I walked right past this guy, just right past him. And he said, are you Jeremy Rands? And I said, why do you want to know? Because I didn't recognize him. He was a kid, grew up in our church down in Cincinnati years ago. I haven't seen this kid probably over a decade. He graduated from the school and went off and joined the military. And 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 and, and then you, when somebody says that, you're like, mm, I know I'm supposed to know you. And finally, I said, I don't. He told me his name. I said, "Oh, yes, yes." He said, "I just moved up here." He said, uh, 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 "Got out of the military and Amazon." He said, "Have you ever heard of Amazon?" I said, "Yeah, I think I've heard of them." And he said, "They're building a. Uh, did you know they were building a big facility over here in Rossford? I said, "I think I saw that in the news." Yeah. He said, "I'm the manager of it." I said, "Oh, that's awesome." He's married now, and I said, "Where are you going to church, Val?" And I knew the story, got hurt. Parents were hurt. Got hurt and hasn't been in church. And he knows Blake Wells. And I thought, should I have him give, should I give him Blake Wells' number or not, you know? But he's been hurt. And so we were texting back and forth last night after I saw him. And I invited him and I I pray he comes. But it reminded me that the actions of others hurt people. There's good people that aren't sitting in churches today that aren't serving the Lord. They're saved. We're quick to judge people that, well, they they must not be saved. No, they're just hurt. They've been wounded. And they're sitting there not serving the Lord today because of discouragement that's come from someone else. It's real. It's real. Maybe you're here today and you're not serving because of discouragement that has come from someone else. I think the Lord allowed us to see into this for these two verses that this is real, that it's not made up, that, that that people can affect other people, but we have to choose that we are not going to be discouraged by the actions of someone else. I want you to write this down, if you would please, in your heart someplace. Even in right places, you'll find people that hurt others. Even in right places. Let, let, let me just let me just put let me just put it right down on the bottom shelf even in churches you'll find people that hurt others. Am, am I saying that because I'm just saying get over it no I'm not saying that at all. It's still wrong. This took place in the church. This is the testimony of a leader in the church. He, he said of this, John said, this, this man has the preeminence, and that is one that wants to be in charge. He sees himself as superior. It doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks or feels. I'm in charge. You know, even in right places, you're still going to deal with people like that. Don't quit. Don't stop serving the Lord. It would be wonderful if those people never existed in our life, but, but I want you to understand they do. Maybe it's at work or maybe in your family unit or maybe here at this church or maybe in a church previously you've come across someone like this and they want the preeminence and they just belittle people and make people feel unimportant. And I just simply want to say to you this, when that happens or if that has happened, don't quit on the Lord. Keep serving Jesus. There's a testimony of a leader here that is hurt. Because of preeminence, the, he also says this of him. Look, look with me. He says, "I'll remember his deeds when he when, when which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words." You know what that word prating? Antagonizing, poking. We we might even call it bullying, on purpose, trying to discourage someone else. Could you imagine that? That someone would try to discourage someone else on purpose with malicious words, mean words, hurtful words, trying to antagonize someone for the purpose of making them quit. Church, I would say to you this, this is just a little side point here. We need to be careful with sarcasm. Sarcasm can hurt people. Poking fun at people, it, it can hurt people. You say, oh, people are just too sensitive. No, people have feelings. And the more of a leadership position you're in, the more that you have to be careful what you say. You know, moms and dads, they have to be careful what they say to children. Well, their friends might be able to get away with it, but they look to their parents. And I I think that as parents, we ought to say encouraging things to our children. Things that lift them up things that encourage them to do right and live for the Lord. Be careful what you say when you're at a place of discouragement or you're just feeling a little bit off off that day. Be careful what you say to people because it affects people. In my position, I counsel a lot of people. You know what? Oftentimes, if you counsel someone long enough and you dig deep enough and begin to peel the onion back far enough, you know what you find? A lot of it, happened when a person was a child things that were said things that were done you know that old that old saying sticks and stones can break my bones but names will never hurt me how many of you have found out the older you got that that's not true you can still remember things that people have said to you you can still remember the hurt that someone has caused poking at them with harming words. The Bible speaks of this kind of believer, speaks of idle words and malicious speaking and backbiting. Those are all things that the Bible describes as not healthy and not good, especially for a believer. Choosing who is important to the work of the Lord and who isn't is what this man, Diotrephes, is doing. He's, he's saying, you're, you're, you're important and you're not. I choose you to stay involved in the work, but you need to leave the church. And, and, and John says, this isn't right. This, I'm going to deal with him when I come. Hear me today. Every single person has a reason to be here in this church. Every single person. Do you realize God put you here for a purpose? How, how many of you... How many of you, that, that little box over there is a harmonica. There's a, I think there's a harmonica in that box, unless you took it with him. He, this morning, I'm hearing all this extra stuff coming. How many of you heard that? This extra words come or not words, extra. If you heard extra words, you were hearing things. This extra tune coming, I'm thinking, where's that? And then I finally, I saw him up there. He's got a harmonica playing. Do you realize this? That God has gifted every single person in this church with something to use for his glory. Every single person in this church has value. It's not up to myself, it's not up to anyone in this church to to suggest who should be here and who shouldn't be here. God has a plan and a design, and it's up to God to put people in what is called the local church so for them to serve. It's not for a deatrophies to say who's important and who's not important. Do you know this? Every single person in this church is important to God. Every single person. You have some value to add to the local New Testament church. I'd go as far as this. If God placed you in this church and you're not doing what God has placed in his church to do, this church is not accomplishing everything that we're supposed to accomplish. That's how important you are. When you're gone, someone's missing. You're important. God fits this church together. Paul speaks of that of the of a local church in his epistles as he's writing. He fits jointly fits them together. It's called the body of Christ and in every single part of this body is vitally important. Every single person. God placed you here for a reason. The responsibility of uh, those, my responsibility and others isn't to do the work ourselves or decide who should and who shouldn't necessarily, but it's, it's, it's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. For what reason? So God gets glory. Our church should function and operate in such a way to when it moves, God continues to get the Glory. Oh, today when the as the team was playing and singing and, and 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 those on the PA system and on the cameras and those that are greeting and those in nurseries right now and children's ministry and all the work that's being done the greeters today all that work that's being done it's to be done so that God receives glory so when people come they say praise the Lord And when people leave they say praise the Lord all that's done in here is for God to receive glory Every single person is important. And John is pointing out there's a person here that is has a preeminence, and, and it's not right. This church is God's church. It's not my church or someone else's church. You know, I have told our deacons this over this pandemic. We've met several times, and I've said this to them: I've prayed this prayer so often. You know, when this all first started, I I, I thought to myself, I, I, I need to figure out how, what we're going to do. And, and I watch other people putting plans together and, and, and putting those plans out. And, and I just began to pray this, Lord, this is your church. It's not mine. I don't know what to do. How many of you ever pastored through a pandemic before? Yeah, neither have I. And there was no course in college pastoring through Pandemics. I didn't know what to do. You know, I would simply pray, and I still pray this today Lord, it's your church. You have a plan. If you'll just simply reveal what you want done, I will just do what you desire. That's all I can do. Do you realize anything else would be taking from God what belongs to Him? well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to know what to do. I'm just simply a follower of Christ. It's his. Never am I supposed to take the place of, of Christ. Never, never should I stand between Christ and his church. What I am supposed to do is, is, is stand and say, follow me as I follow Christ. I want you to write this down, please, someplace in your heart. Even when you get hurt by others, you have a responsibility to choose to follow God. Even when you get hurt by others, you have a responsibility to choose to follow God. You've got to follow truth. Hurt is not an excuse to quit. I would say this, let's as a church decide we're going to get in the word now and allow it to guide us in difficult times. And when those difficult times come, we're grounded in the word and we make right decisions so that we can continue to live for Christ. But listen to me, I'm not minimizing the hurt and I'm not minimizing what's been done, but I'm simply saying this, as a Christian, it's still your responsibility to follow Christ. We can't just quit because we've been hurt. Jesus paid a price. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. He was beaten. He paid a sin debt that he didn't owe so that we could be, we could have life and life everlasting. He didn't quit on us. We praise God for that. Thirdly, I want you to write this down. Look with me in verse number 12. Demetrius hath a good report of all men. And of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. So here here we have eight verses where he's saying, Gaius, great job. You're walking in truth. I'm I'm proud of you, because your testimony amongst the brethren and amongst strangers is a wonderful testimony. Serve the Lord, keep going, keep serving. Oh, this man, Diotrephes, I know who he is. But then he moves from that and and encourages him, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He says, don't don't let that bother you. Don't, don't, Don't get sidetracked and don't let that be an excuse. Evil is going to be there. Evil is going to exist in this world, even in places we don't think it should, but follow after truth. And then he comes and he reminds him, he says, Demetrius, who's Demetrius? When did we get talking about Demetrius? This letter is written to Gaius, and it was about commending Gaius about it. But then all of a sudden, John says, Demetrius, he has got a good report of all men. Almost like the same living, the same report that he, John had of Gaius, he says, I want to remind you of Demetrius. And I want you to write this in your heart. Remember, you're not alone. There's others that are doing right as well. Sometimes when we get into the most difficult seasons of our life, we think we're all alone. We think nobody else cares. We think that it's just going to, it's just bad. And all of a sudden, just out, kind of like out of the blue, he says, I want, what about Demetrius? He's living for God as well. He's following truth. Gaius had a great testimony, but so did Demetrius listen, don't allow others to pull you down, get you discouraged, get, a, get around those that have the same testimony to serve the Lord. It was like he was reminding Gaius, don't forget about others like Demetrius, who loves the Lord, who serves the Lord. Now I want to say that to our church today. Don't forget that there's other people that are serving the Lord, that are waiting for His return, that are walking in truth, that are raising godly families, that, that are committed to their marriage and committed to serving the Lord. You're not alone there's others serving with you it's like he put it there to encourage Gaius Gaius there is one that's causing problems but don't forget there's others that love Jesus what was it Elijah that felt the same way in the Old Testament he thought he was all alone and God said are you kidding me you're not alone. I've got other prophets that, that aren't bowing the knee to Baal. Listen, the world might look dark, and the w- world might seem like, like it's difficult to raise a godly family. It might seem like evil is taking over. And I just want to simply tell you this. There are still great churches out there. There's still great Christians out there that are serving the Lord. God is still doing great things. Don't give up. Don't keep your eyes on the negative. Don't keep your eyes on those that aren't serving the Lord. Don't keep your eyes on the discouraging things in life. Remember, you're not alone. Others have a desire to serve Jesus as well. And lastly, my time is done. I want you to write this down. The importance of being face-to-face I want, you, I want you to see this, and I don't have time to really develop this, but I want you to see this. John writes, I had many things to write, but I will not with, in verse 13, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. You know, time together is where relationships thrive and grow. John had a lot of things that he wanted to say to Gaius. And he could have written them down. But he said, there's these things I want to share with you face to face. A couple years ago when my son joined the military, I, I wrote him a letter every day when he was at boot camp. Every day until the drill sergeant's even after the drill sergeants every every day and then the drill sergeants f- finally got used to his name and said another letter for you rands yeah someone loves me <laughs> every day i mean without fail i wrote a letter put it in the mailbox every day he received one i'd tell him how i was doing i'd ask him how he was doing It was the only way for me to communicate. There was one time at two o'clock in the morning, I got up, I sat on the side of my bed, I started getting ready, just putting my shoes on. Michelle woke up, said, what are you doing? I said, I'm leaving. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to get Jacob. She said, what are you talking about? I miss him. She says, you have no idea where he's at. I said, I'll find him. She says, but once you find him, they're not gonna let you take him. I said, he's my son. She said, you signed him over to Uncle Sam. I said, I'll break the contract, I'm going to get him. She said, you can't. I said, I am. I got in my car. I drove down the street and said, I have no idea where he's at. Turned around, went back to bed. I wanted to see him. Writing to him was not enough. I wanted to talk to him. I'll never forget, they brought us in. It was rainy that day. We're supposed to have an outside time and instead they brought us into a gymnasium and they let us, they called it family day and they marched the soldiers in. You could hear them in cadence as they were marching toward the gym. They opened those gym doors and you could hear them from outside and boy, I was pushing old ladies out of the way to get to the front line and I was standing there and I'm watching these these kids come in. They all look the same, bald (laughs) and I saw them. I could not wait to get to him. Now, he's tired. He's been running 600 miles a day. They just ran him in there. He's tired. Up late, or, yeah, up late and get him up early to, I mean, he's tired, and I couldn't wait to just see him and talk to him. And as soon as they said, go find your soldier, I knew where he was. I made a beeline right to him. I couldn't wait to see him face to face. I took him to his favorite restaurant, Cracker Barrel and I'm trying to eat with him and he's falling asleep as he's eating and Michelle and I couldn't wait just to talk to him face-to-face. Face. There's something about seeing someone face-to-face. That's face. where relationships are built. Church isn't so important. Yes, we can do online services. Yes, those are important. That's why we do them. And yes, but there's something about coming and spending time John couldn't wait. Letter writing to Gaius wasn't enough. John says, I can't wait to see you. The best way to encourage someone, the best way to spend time with someone, the best way to mentor someone, the best way to disciple someone. Yes, we have all the technology in the world, but Christian, it's face to face. Do you know what someone today in this room needs? They need you. And they need your time. And it might be a wife to a husband that you think that having a great job and supplying and giving a good life. But listen to me, you know what builds a strong relationship? Face-to-face time. You know what your kids need? Parents, your time. Face-to-face We've gotten to a world where technology is taken over. We've gotten to a world where busyness and, listen, you know what builds strong churches? Face to face, time. It builds strong churches, it builds strong marriages, it builds strong families. Invest in someone's life today, as John said. I'm gonna invest in the life of Gaius. Let's pray. Father.